Well, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Average Superstar TV. I'm your host, Lauren Lepre. Please give us a subscribe, a like, comment, and share. And when I started this show, I said I was going to go all over the place, whatever I thought was an entertaining show to my audience. And this week, I got a very special guest. I got Dr. Leslie Madrick aboard. And in today's world, I just know we have a lot of uh, misleading or, you know, when it comes to people being diagnosed with stuff. And uh, I figured, why not actually bring a doctor on? So, Leslie, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Really happy to be here. I appreciate it. Awesome. Could you just give us uh, your background and what you have a degree in and what sure. you do? Sure. Um, I'm a general psychiatrist. I also work in addiction medicine. I've been a psychiatrist for over 20 years now. I graduated from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and then did my residency training at UMDNJ, which is now Rowan uh, here in New Jersey. So worked in the hospital, worked outpatient, which is what I'm doing now. And um, just very happy to be here. So I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> uh, jack of all trades. So perfect. So when we, we want to jump right into personality disorders, and I know there's a bunch of layers to unpack here. But I, I know one of the things people have been talking about lately was narcissistic. Yes, yes. So everybody thinks they know, <laughs> including me. <laughs> but why don't you give us a, an actual proper definition of what someone who is narcissistic is? Yeah, well, so personality disorders, is, it's really tricky. So um, a lot of people just don't really understand why they're someone is the way they are. So it's really like a maladaptive pattern of the way that they deal with life over time. And it affects the way people deal with people in their lives, whether it be at work, whether it's in their personal relationships. So narcissistic personality is one that it seems that it's the hot topic on social media right now. Everybody's talking about it, living with a narcissist, dealing with a narcissist. And everyone's met one. So, you know, they're the people that are really boastful and they have big egos and they feel like they're special and they are entitled to be treated like they're special. Uh, they have this sense of entitlement. They have to be first in line and they have to get all the perks for everything. And they really don't have any regard for other people. They don't really have any empathy for others. They don't recognize when they're criticizing others and they really just don't care. So it's, as you can see, it's unfortunate to have to deal with somebody like that. All that's, the time. that's that's a lot of info and a lot to unpack. So is this something that is like, it happens as their life goes on, like a defense mechanism? Is it something inherited? Is it like, how does this, how's this person come invented even? Well, all the personality disorders do have a biological predisposition. So some of it is genetic. Some of it might be ways that they've learned to deal with their environment in a negative way. Um, maybe ways that they've seen others grow up. Uh, maybe they've had an early traumatic experience in life that's kind of created this sort of maladaptive way of dealing with others. So, and they're really tricky because the part that's frustrating as a person in the real world or as a therapist is that with a personality disorder, they think everyone else is wrong. 
So they think that, you know, nothing's wrong with me. We call that egocentric. So it means that, you know, it's acceptable to them the way that they deal with things. And why is everybody else giving them a hard time? So when they come into therapy, they usually don't really come to treatment specifically um, for that reason. They come for other reasons. So say, for instance, if someone broke up with them or they got passed over for a job that they wanted, usually it'll be maybe an anxiety or depression related to it. But when you come in and you see that their patterns, you realize that it's this personality disorder that's creating difficulty in their lives. Gotcha. So just so we don't cross worlds here, um, what you just said was personality disorder, not narcissist. All of them in general, but including narcissist. Yes. Okay. So always want to wonder is, is it when someone's narcissist and you said, Hey, they need to, they need all the perks. They need to be in line first. Me, me, me. When they're alone, are they still on top of the world or are they looking for constant approval? Do they, do they cry? Is it like just really a, a shield? That's not who they really are. It's interesting that you say that because really it's a defense mechanism for feeling inadequate and insecure. So you will never really see that aspect of them, but there's actually a term that's called narcissistic injury, which could be really debilitating for them. They can even become suicidal because it's a humiliation. um, And if they feel that ego broken, it could be very difficult for them to be able to bounce back from that. But they're not really aware that they have that defense. You know, it's yes, they have these feelings of insecurity, but usually they quick jump on something else and start bragging about something else. So <laughs> it's like people I know in the film business. Uh, I'm in any business, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is if something crashes, they just jump right to the next one. And you know, that this is this is to feed their ego. Yes. Yes. constantly and if you're not constantly feeding it they're going to be really frustrated with you so <laughs> yeah I, I believe i countered one with uh won't say names through my last film that constantly every two hours needed some sort of an update of like and nothing was happening it's like hey we're at work like stop calling it was like they needed something to make them feel good to pass it along to other people uh-huh. you know so yeah, uh, this is another reason I was like, yo, I want, I want, I want to hear direct. I want to get direct answers here. So suppose how? Okay, so let me break this down. What? How does someone in a family or someone who's dating someone who's narcissistic like what? What do you look for to realize like, uh oh, like we might have one here? Yeah, yeah. Well, just that that sense of entitlement that they have to be treated special in a certain way. Um, that they constantly need to be stroked, their ego being stroked. And it's difficult in a relationship. It's, it's so frustrating because, you know, you always feel criticized because they're so much better than you. So uh, they're always kind of saying, reminding you how much better they are than you. And they don't have that empathy. So you really feel like they're cold, distant, you don't really get that reciprocation because they're so focused on themselves and so self-centered that they're really not caring about your needs. So you end up feeling really like neglected and, and alone all the time. So it's, it's really frustrating. 
Which would you say in your field, is there a cure or any way to reach these people? Yeah, it's a tough one. And and the reason it's so tough is because of that ego syntonic aspect to it, because they feel like it's right and it feels right to them. They don't really feel the need to change it. But over time, if you develop a therapeutic relationship with them and they begin to trust you, then you can kind of gently call to their attention that, you know, maybe these ways, remember this example of when this happened at work and you were really bragging about yourself and then it blew up in your face and nobody wanted to, to be around you and treat you that way, or maybe it was that relationship. So when you call it to their attention and they start to see those patterns, then they may be willing to change if they realize that, hey, life isn't, they're not getting what they want because of these these patterns in their lives. I've heard sometimes couples say when someone's dating someone like that or any of the personality disorders that they might tape them, like record them on their phone and play it back and be like, do you understand what you just did here? And like, do you think that's like a smart way at least to like set an example, show, show, hey, this is exactly what you're like. I couldn't edit this, okay? It's not a bad idea. Unfortunately, they'll probably get caught up in it. Don't I sound so good? Doesn't my voice sound good? <laughs> they, may, they may really love that attention that they're on record. Who knows? But you can do that. I mean, sometimes having a neutral party involved and, you know, having a therapist, I predominantly do medication treatment, but I like to incorporate therapy into all aspects of my work. So I would, I would do that. And, and I, I have done that over time, like this isn't working for you. And I think once you establish that relationship, they're more open to seeing that, you know, is it, because I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go uh, getting you uh, affected in any way in, in your field. But I mean, is there just people that they're just not going to be reached? I don't think there's no hope for anyone. Although, when you have a really strong personality disorder, it's, it's definitely a little bit of a challenge. So, if you, at least you can keep it at wraps a little bit. But uh, do they ever completely go away? They might start to go back to their old patterns over time, but I don't think it's impossible. No, I think everyone has the potential to be treated. When so you even get one of these as, as a patient, is it like, it, did they want to, like, did they actually feel bad for something like, like, like I need to change or is there someone paying for it? Like you have to talk to somebody. Like, well, there's, it's usually something else that brings them in. So they might be depressed or they might be anxious. And, you know, in my world, I see it as, okay, somebody calls you and you might be working with somebody else, but, you know, you have to be right on. You have to answer that call immediately or else, you know, this is an emergency, even though it may not be, you know, it might be just I'm having a bad day and, you know, give someone else their time. Or, you know, they may want special treatment. They want may want longer sessions. They may want to uh, spill into somebody else's session and take some of their time. Is, uh, they may want to an e more of an, I'm sorry, is that more of an ego thing? Like, look, it, I got extra time, like, like fully knowing that there's someone else that's, you know, the hours that, you know, for you. Well, you really have to have those boundaries. So that's exactly what you really don't want to do is give them more time. You don't want to create any special treatment, you want to treat everyone the same and give everybody 
the same opportunity. And they may not like that. So sometimes you really have to have very strict rules with them. You know, these are the hours that you need to call. These are This is the time that you're allotted. This is the number to reach me at. You know, you're not coming to my house. You're not coming. You're not calling me on my personal cell. So you really have to be direct about that. And they won't like it, but you have to do that. Wow. So, yeah, let's uh, jump over to another one. So, border. I know you said borderline personality disorder. You you say is that like the top hardest to deal with? I think you know. I'm surprised with social media. You know, certainly everybody gets narcissism and deals with it. But I think borderline personality is just so confusing to people because their behavior is just so erratic and inconsistent, and it could really make somebody in a relationship just so confused about what's going on and kind of feel really hopeless about the situation. It's really tragic if you're in a relationship with somebody that's a severe borderline, it can be really difficult. But but with borderline personality, they feel really empty and they don't really know who they are. So they, they're frantically, they will do anything not to be abandoned by someone. And they have this intense fear of being abandoned by someone. So they will go through dramatic efforts to avoid that from happening. And if you even say, well, I have to go to work, I have to leave now, and they don't want you leaving, you know, they might get really angry, furious, they could get physical with people, um, their lives are just complete chaos, and they bring that chaos to everybody else's life. Could, could that fall under someone who uh, might be a serial dater too, that this can't, you know, breaks up with someone over the weekend and has a new someone new by Monday? Oh. Well, definitely, definitely for a, for a lot of them, but certainly somebody that has such a fear for abandonment, absolutely they will. But they, because they're so nice one minute and then, you know, they might devalue you. You're the best person in the world one minute and then you're the worst the next. So when that happens, you know, you're kind of confused as the other person in the relationship, like what's going on here? Um, not really understanding it. But this sounds even more dangerous to date than a narcissist to me. So I far. think so. I mean, yes, they're both equally. It's not fun being on the other side of it, but you just never know. You know, I always compare um, borderline personality of people who've seen the movie in the 90s, like single white female. Generally, uh, yeah. you know, they're going to, they don't really have a sense of self. So they might mirror someone else. They might want to take on their lives. They might want to like, sabotage their lives, um, anything, not to leave them. I feel like every decade, there's like a new film that talks about borderline personality. You know, in the 80s, we had uh, Fatal Attraction with Glenn Close and uh, Michael Douglas. And, you know, I think he wanted to go to work one day. And because he just had something to do, I think they met 24 hours earlier and had to go to work and you know she comes out with like her wrists bleeding and i like that's what you're dealing with and he's like holy crap you know what am i dealing with and uh and that's going to be your life until she stalks you and then you know boils your daughter's rabbit what uh, let's talk an origin of that though what makes someone be borderline well, it's complicated. Yes, there may be a genetic predisposition with parents that might have other mental health disorders. They may have some really early childhood traumas, which is why, you know, they have such a fear of abandonment. And even that lack of sense of self, they might have been neglected. 
Um, and because of that, they're trying to draw attention to themselves in some way and really don't like themselves. You know, people haven't treated them well, so their feeling about themselves is not so great either. So they may do things like cut themselves, even superficially, not necessarily to, to kill themselves, but sometimes they will actually try to end their lives, but they might uh, self-mutilate, they might use substances, they might be promiscuous, they might uh, drive a car recklessly. So they will be constantly chaotic and bring chaos to your life as well. Uh, okay. So how on earth do you even reach someone like that? Well, it's difficult. I mean, really establishing a relationship of trust, you know, trust is really important because if they haven't been able to trust people in their lives before, you know, even that fundamental parents, people that they grew up with, if they didn't have that stable relationship, it's going to be hard for them to trust you. And they're going to do the same thing with you as they do with everyone else in the world. They're going to overvalue you. Y'all, you're the best doctor in the world. And then, you know, if you don't answer their call in five or 10 minutes, you're the worst. Or if you say to them, that's not something appropriate, you know, they may take insult to that. And so you really have to work with your own emotional gauge with that. Yes, they could be really frustrating to work with, but if you stay consistent with them and you don't disappear and you don't abandon them, they will build that trust and they will be able to develop healthier patterns over time. But it, it's a challenge for sure. Absolutely. So what would you say to someone I won't even go into the dating department, but family, like, like how do, how does a family member even see a flag like this to maybe see about treat, getting them treatment? Yeah. Well, if they are constantly arguing with everyone in their lives, if they're uh, creating problems in other people's lives that they can't contain it and it spills into other people's lives, um, or they're hot and cold, you feel like you kind of have to walk on eggshells with them all the time and tiptoe around certain subjects, or they might be a little bit explosive, um, then you just want to keep boundaries with them as well. Like you have to establish what you feel is appropriate in your life. And when they, they uh, create too much trouble for you, or you say, I, this isn't going to be a part of my life. But I think as long as you're doing that with kindness and gentleness and love, I feel like they'll respond to that because they really do want to have boundaries, even though they don't know what's like an appropriate boundary with another person. I think if you do it kindly and gently with them, then they can respect that. So the more you say to stay in this frame in my life and don't cross that line, I think that's probably the best way to manage them. So you would say because you would almost say the personality, sorry, the borderline personality can be way more destructive than like someone who's narcissist. Narcissist is, valid. narcissist is looking for this valid, constant validation, right? Right, right. They will try to bulldoze over you. And if they don't get what they want and they become frustrated and not because you're not giving them the attention or the power or whatever it is they're seeking, then they'll just move on to the next step. Borderline, because they have such a fear of that abandonment, they might stalk you for a while. If you're trying to let go, they're going to probably tighten their reins even more. So it's going to be hard to get them out of your lives. So if I had a choice, I would probably 
Yeah. The narcissist over borderline. So, so before I jump into the, the, the next one, um, I know you said uh, Glenn Close, you know, was a, was a was a good example. So was Jennifer Jason Lee and single white female. Going back to narcissists, is there any movie character you could say like right there fits narcissism? Well, you know, actually, the movie Gaslight. I don't know if you've seen that, but it, it was from like the nineteen forties. Ingrid Bergman, and it's so funny because because narcissistic personality has become so popular to talk about these days. In the last decade or so, we actually created the term gaslight. So, yeah. you know, now we're gaslighting people because in the movie, you know, the man in her life uh, was was turning the gaslights on and off and she felt like it was her imagination. So they make you feel like you're the one that's losing your mind all the time um, because it's never their fault. You know, it's always... Um, someone else's fault. So because of that, you kind of start questioning yourself. So that's probably the best one I could think of right now. Gotcha. And then uh, I guess the round three would be psychopaths. Oh, yes, yes. So could, that's another one. <laughs> so what is the, the actual definition of that for you even go any further? So it used to be called, uh, well, it's antisocial personality disorder. That term sociopath and psychopath, they're really all that mean the same thing. It doesn't mean someone is actually psychotic, like they're not hearing voices. So sociopath and psychopath are the same definition. Yep. Antisocial, psychopath, sociopath, just okay. another name for the same thing that's kind okay. of changed over time, probably because there's a little bit of a stigma attached to those names or confusion about those names. Yeah, the psycho, I'm sure people don't like that, you know, because it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not the nicest word, but yeah. Right, right. And, uh, but really, it's, it's really that criminal behavior, actually. It's the person that, you know, violates the rights of others and they don't care and they really don't care about your feelings. They might actually even enjoy, you know, hurting other people because they really don't have empathy. Uh, and they're very deceitful, you know, they'll be very conniving. If there's someone in the office, it, you know, my radar goes up when someone is actually charming, you know, snakes are charming, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> so uh, if someone's very cunning, and you know, they can be that they put on that charm. And, it's it's always on my radar that oh maybe there's there's a motivation here you know maybe there's some secondary gain that they're looking for uh, they do tend to use substances they do tend to break the law so and they're not always people that are like killers you know you're not always dealing with like Hannibal Lecter all the time you know but man, there could be some very uh, legal activity. Uh, antisocials that just basically just don't care about your feelings or any regard for you necessarily. Wow. That, yeah. And, and just <laughs> reminds me of someone in my wrestling world I used to know, but um, what, uh, what do you even do for a person like this? And, and number one, is this something they're born with or is it, are they made? There is a genetic predisposition too. Sometimes there's other antisocials in the family, or sometimes there are family members that might have substance use disorders and things like that. It's also an environmental thing. So if people have grown up in broken homes or homes of neglect, or you know maybe have been from one foster home to another, they may have learned maybe illegal ways to deal with things in order to 
um, you know, survive. It's become more of a survival mechanism for them to, to be deceitful and lying. So um, it's a difficult one to not just engage, you know, once again, you have to build trust there, but there's really some military camp type places that actually work with people with really um, behavioral issues. And uh, it's still, they probably say it's the one that's the hardest to actually break that pattern. But I still think in, I, I always think there's hope for rehabilitation for everybody, really. Well, so, that that yeah. means you're a good doctor because you believe that, you know. What, I mean, it sounds to me, especially with that one, the best thing you could do is just separate yourself from them. I mean, I don't know if, what advice you could say, but, you know, besides let the doctors try to handle them, you know, provided they could get, you know, they want even to be helped, you know. Right, right. Well, certainly in a relationship, you know, they're going to be lying to you all the time and they're always going to blame you for everything. Mm -hmm. And they may drag you into a precarious situation that you're like, then what? You know, they're going to draw you into trouble if they're always creating trouble in their own lives. So probably best to, to stay away from that. Absolutely. Yeah. And if God forbid you're, this is one of your family members you care about, what's, where do you, yeah. where do you start? Like, yeah. Um, I love you, but you know, we, you have to have that wall in between you a little bit, you know, uh, depending on how much, cause there's always a range, you know, sometimes people have a little treat and when you're, when you, when you read about these things, you're going to hear that, you know, everybody has some of these traits. That's actually a, a, a normal thing. But if there's sure. four or five things that really are pervasive and really stand out in your lives over a period of time, that's when it really becomes a, a disorder. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And uh, could this be pat? This could be passed on. I mean, could all this be passed on? Having another child? Yes, genetically it can be, but also I would say that you know people pick up on your patterns. Kids, kids see that, and they model themselves after their parents too. So if they're seeing sort of slippery kind of behavior, they're more prone to learning that from them, especially if it's getting them what they want. You know, if it's serving a purpose and, and they're get good at it, they can get what they want. Do they know they're wrong or do they just think like this was the way it seemed right so and it was working, so write it out? Yeah, they don't really have any conscience, which is really scary to think about. So they don't tend to feel guilt. They don't really have remorse about things. It's just what they do. So um, they don't really care about how it affects other people. The only time it really affects them is, you know, if they end up in jail for something, you know, that, that's going to affect them. But it's still probably someone else's fault. It's an, they still don't always accept their own ownership for what they did. So anybody in the audience that's, uh, you know, th this might be hitting home with uh, and they know somebody like what would what would you advise for them to even start trying to help someone like this that might have one of these three? So if they really needed help, I mean, certainly there's or just know a family member or something like that sounds like them. You hit the nail on the head. How did they go about helping them? I would say, well, certainly if they needed a place to live. They would have to, 
you know, possibly go to a shelter environment or get in contact with a social worker or a crisis center. Um, I think just helping them to engage in some kind of treatment because it's not always just the antisocial. They're either getting into trouble all the time with the law or they're using substances. If it's some other kind of disorder that they're dealing with, like maybe the substance issue is their primary disorder and they're just getting their needs met by using their maladaptive personality, then maybe treating the disorder first of the substance use and getting that kind of help first, uh, they could kind of work on their personality after they get clean or sober, that type of thing. So it's almost never, there's always something else going on. So is there, and when it comes to this, the psychopath, is there even a, a true end game? Are they, are they fixable? Yeah, uh, it's, it's probably the lowest amount of success, even with treatment. But mm -hmm. if you're able to treat all those other things around it, I think there's the opportunity to to change their ways. And once again, I mean, you always hear these stories, which I love of people that have been in and out of prison for years at a yeah. time, and then have a moment of clarity and realize that this isn't the way they want to live anymore and change their lives and, you know, get a career and establish a, a job and a family and all of those things, you know, those, those stories really do happen, probably not as often as we'd like, but I really feel like there's a possibility for, for that to happen, for sure. That's where you and the other doctors of the world come in, you know, hopefully they could all be reached, right? Absolutely. And there's so much need out there. Absolutely. And borderline uh, personality, like, is there a way to reach them as well? I think so. I mean, really, with the borderline, there's a lot of other disorders going on there, too. So you're usually dealing with someone that has an anxiety disorder. They may have panic attacks. They may have severe depression. They might be bipolar. So because there's always other disorders that are playing into it, they're usually coming into treatment for those other disorders. So by treating those, you can actually kind of work on, and it really, it's really not so much medication treated, the personality disorder, you can treat the other disorders like bipolar with medicine, but then it's really the therapy piece that comes in because it's really teaching those ways of saying, do you see how this is not working in your life? You know, th this is a pattern in your life. Let's work on changing that. So a lot of times it's working on even a person's self-esteem, you know, getting them to, to trust themselves. You know, they can't, they can't trust themselves. They can't trust other people. And um, a lot of um, management of crisis, you know, they, their lives are, their emotions are so chaotic and their lives are so chaotic. So they don't even know how to man manage an emergency situation. So if they're feeling suicidal or they're feeling like they're going to harm themselves in some way, you know, how to establish, you know, a, a treatment plan for themselves in advance so that they, they can't be so destructive. So you kind of have to start at those um, safety measures first and then work on the little parts as time goes on by. What's, uh, what's, uh, why I got you here for another one. What, um, What's the proper definition for bipolar? Well, bipolar, there's a bipolar one and there's bipolar two. 
So bipolar is more of like the traditional classic bipolar. The old term for that was manic depression. So what that means is um, someone can have mania for days at a time, sometimes weeks at a time, where they're euphoric, expansive, on top of the world, um, talking a lot, not needing to sleep, getting into multiple projects at once, um, being kind of reckless, intrusive. So it's a little different than bipolar, bi bipolar uh, borderline personality. I think that a lot of times people confuse the two, but the issue is you could actually have both. So you can actually have bipolar disorder and you can actually have borderline personality. So it's difficult to tease out sometimes um, because you see those traits. But then the, the other pole is that deep depression and they get very, very severe depressions where sometimes they can't get out of bed. You know, they're lethargic. They have no interest in things. They have no energy. They maybe sleep too much or can't sleep at all. Their appetite changes, concentration changes. They may feel like they want to die. So it's a very, it's a difficult disorder to deal with. However, bipolar is very treatable. It's very treatable with medicine. It's very treatable with therapy, probably even more so than, than the personality disorders um, because people don't like the way they feel. So they do come to treatment because they recognize the symptoms and they want to fix them. You know, it's a problem in their life. They recognize that as a problem in their lives. So, um, and bipolar two is more of like a milder version of that. So you might have, you know, a couple days of euphoria or, or high energy levels, and then maybe a couple days of the severe depression or so. So that's even harder to tease out from borderline because the borderline always has changes in mood. So, but you really have to look at people consistently over time. You know, I don't think it's fair to someone for them to like walk into your office and say, oh, you're, you're borderline. Uh, because uh, you really have to look at them and establish their patterns over time. Um, and sometimes you, people already present to you, they already have a history of a diagnosis um, and they've been in not in treatment for many years. That might be the case. So. And I mean, is this something, is this something also that could be passed on to children? Uh, yes. Well, bipolar disorder is very, uh, usually one to 2% of the population is bipolar. So when you think about it, even one out of 100 people, that's, yeah. that's pretty common. But it's actually considered a very high functioning diagnosis. You know, it's and I think more and more people are talking about it um, in society. It, it, fortunately, mental illness doesn't have to be the stigma that it used to be. So you could be very high functioning, especially if you stay in treatment. I think sometimes the issue is some people uh, they go off their medication because you know they have side effects from the medicine or they're just tired of you know playing the patient role or they like feeling the euphoria so sometimes the medicine because they're mood stabilizers are kind of keeping those extremes in check they want that high in a small way yeah yes yes and and sometimes you can't blame them because you know if they've had such a dark depression for so long and they had a taste of feeling on top of the world, like who would want that? You know, it's it's human nature. But if they can stay on their medicine and they're stable with it, they can do anything they want in the world. And some are highly successful, so that's not going to hold them back. Awesome, 
Uh, I think this was awesome. I think this was one awesome, uh, informative show for this audience. I, oh, thank you. I was so excited that you feel like your audience would be interested in hearing yeah, yeah, I'm going to be on Average Superstar TV. It's going to go many different directions. Whatever I think is an entertaining, uh, informative guest, I will have them on. So uh, I want to give you the floor um, for anyone who wants to reach you or is there any project you're trying to pull together? Well, I guess if anyone has any questions about what I've talked about, if they have a loved one or they're just not sure about how uh, these personality disorders are treated or anything else that we talked about for that matter, you can reach me at my email, which is Dr. Leslie spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-L-E-S-L-I-E at yahoo.com. And I'm looking forward to my next projects are going to be some wellness seminars. I'd really like to do more workshops, either online, virtually, and maybe in the future, as the pandemic gets a little better, in-person seminars of uh, mind, body, spirit, wellness, and alternative health. So really looking forward to maybe even some destination retreats in the long term. So um, if anybody has any interest in that or any ideas, they can reach me at my email, as I've said, and I'll be um, putting together a website so you can see um, some of those different topics and seminars that I'll be talking about. That's awesome. So meanwhile, if they email you, they could be in your address, your you know address book, you know. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, uh, I thank you so much for coming on. I thank uh, my audience, as always, for taking the time to listen. Please give us a subscribe, like, comment, and share. Uh, new shows drop every Monday on YouTube and Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and all the others. So uh, thank you, uh, Leslie, so much for this informative interview. Yeah, and I, I feel so honored. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, we'll get you back on another time. Great. I love it. Thank you so much. You take care. Great all right. Thanks, thank everybody. You. Thank you, everyone, for stopping by for another episode of Average Superstar TV.